Today on Blue 58, the Packers are currently without a defensive coordinator, but while they wait to make a hire, let's take a second and talk about their last one. How did Mike Pettin really do in his last year on the job? Or perhaps more importantly, will changing coordinators actually help all that much? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. We've got some new stuff up on Patreon this week, and the Patreon podcast is coming back next week if you are interested in supporting the Power Sweep and getting some access to some bonus content. That is the best way to do it. Patreon.com slash the Power Sweep. One dollar a month gets you in the door, but you can donate whatever whatever you like. It's how we help keep this show and the site ad free. We're talking defense at Patreon.com, and we will uh, be adding a little bit more content there as we do further research on the topic currently under discussion there right now, which is the Packers edge rushers. You should also join because you get access to our Discord server, which is a lot of fun, a lot of behind-the-scenes talk going on there. Enough about that, though. Let's talk about Mike Pettin. So, Mike Pettin is gone. And as part of our uh, tour through the 2020 Packers, we need to take a look at how he did in 2020. We know how it ends. But we should look at the story as a whole. Because if you're looking to build a football team, a program, you can't just be reduced to individual moments. So the question here, as the Packers look to replace Mike Pettin, is what are we really looking to improve? And that's a tougher question than I think a lot of people are leading us to believe. Some people... I think it presented this as a foregone conclusion that he was going to get fired and a foregone conclusion that he may get better. And it very well may, I think, well, I'll tell you what I think about firing him here in a second, but let's, let's do the background first. Where were they with Mike Pettin exactly? Let's look at a bunch of numbers. Going to throw a bunch of numbers here at you really quickly. Over three years in Green Bay, Green Bay, the Packers finished 29th. 15th and 17th in overall defensive DVOA. Good look at their overall performance as it compares to the league. Scoring defense, they finished 22nd, 9th, and 13th. Yards, they finished 18th, 18th, and 9th. Sometimes that stat is called total defense. In takeaways, they finished 29th, 7th, and 25th. Third down conversions, 13th, 15th, and 11th. Red zone scoring percentage, red red zone touchdown percentage, sorry. 19th, 11th, and 12th. Percentage of drives ending in a touchdown. Pettin's defense has finished 28th, 23rd, and 17th. Overall, just looking at the highest overall picture of how Pettin's defense is performed, it honestly isn't that bad. But on a situation-by-situation basis, I think things look worse than they really were. The NFC Championship game is a really, really good example of that. You have the touchdown just before the half, and you've got a big third-down conversion late in the game on a penalty without diving into the additional issues that have to do with both of those, that's a really bad look when you end up losing a one-possession game 
trying to make it to the Super Bowl. There's also something that we've talked about kind of ad nauseum in the 2020 season and really kind of throughout Pettin's tenure of being surprised by the obvious. Even if Pettin likes to really sell out to stop the pass, it seems like he still gave up some big gains to and big games to some really obvious opponents. The Minnesota Vikings are going to try to get the ball to Dalvin Cook, and it seemed to take Mike Pettin completely by surprise multiple times. The Saints earlier this year were going to try to get the ball to Alvin Kamara, and boy, did they. It's stuff like that that makes me wonder if the real problem with Mike Pettin and the real reason he's out in Green Bay right now is basically just an image problem. Did we as fans, did we as people who follow and cover the team miss the boat on Pettin a little bit because we weighted the the really big negatives too hard? And on the one hand, I'm inclined to think so. We probably are overweighting those negative single plays as opposed to how the defense performed on the whole. For instance, from November 9th through the end of the season, the only times when Packers opponents broke 25 points was when they were gifted a short field on a fumble. It happened against the Colts when Darius Shepard fumbled on a kickoff return, and it happened against the Buccaneers in the playoffs when Aaron Jones fumbled deep in Packers territory. Those are the only times. It was really the offense's fault or the special team's fault as much as anything that the Packers' defense ended up giving up points. If you want to roll it back even further to Week 6, it's still true. From Week 6 to the end of the season, the only time the Packers were really giving up big points, point totals, was when their offense played really poorly. Between the pick 6 and the second pick that Aaron Rodgers threw, it's basically 14 points for the Buccaneers. You've got one Packers drive that's ending with a touchdown for the opposing team and one that allows the opposing team to start on like the two or whatever it was, inside your own five. It can hardly be the defense's fault when they score there. But on the other hand, the bigger problem, I think, with Pettin's defense is is that he had all the resources in the world spent on that side of the ball, trying to give him absolutely everything they possibly could. The Packers in the Penton era have spent a ton on their defense, and it hasn't really looked at all like they've spent a ton. You've got three first-round picks on that side of the ball, just in the Penton era. Rashawn Gary, Jair Alexander, and Darnell Savage. Not in that order, order, obviously. You've got big free agent signings. You've got mid-level free agent signings. Heck, if you just go buy first-round picks and expensive free agents, as well as bringing back Kenny Clark on the richest-ever contract for a defensive tackle, You've got Clark, the highest-paid defensive tackle, two high-paid edge rushers, a first-round picket edge rusher, a first-round corner, a first-round safety. And then the year before Gutekunst took took over, you've got Kevin King, a second-round pick, Josh Jackson, a second-round pick in the Gutekunst era. That's eight guys already, eight of your 11 
biggest, supposedly, in theory at least, contributors on defense. First or second round picks or big free agent signings. Throw Christian Kirksey in there and it's up to nine. Throw Adrian Amos in there and we're up to ten. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty big investment on that side of the ball. And Pettin, while recognizing that all those players are not world beaters, Pettin did not produce a defense that was really much better than, oh, slightly better than middle of the league in most of these metrics. The third down conversions one is the where, where he's most consistent. 13th, 15th, and 11th. Not too bad. But even then, you're still outside the top 10. You're barely in the top third. Scoring defense in the top half twice, as far as you get into the top 10, is ninth. We know the NFL isn't built around defense anymore. But the Packers have sure tried to build their defense. And it hasn't really worked. And sooner or later, somebody's got to take the fall for that. As long as the offense keeps performing, the person taking that fall isn't going to be Ryan Gutekunst. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with a defense that fairly or not gets blamed for problems on the Packers and a coordinator who ends up on the outside looking in. And I'm not saying that Mike Pettin should have a job. I almost said deserves there. That's a word that I I hate to use from the outside looking in because there's, you know, multitude of factors that you could say, maybe he does deserve it, maybe he doesn't. I can't say for sure whether he should be the Packers DC or shouldn't. I can say there's a lot of bad press going against him, and it it sure doesn't look good when the enduring image of the NFC Championship game is Scotty Miller blazing past Kevin King for a touchdown right before the end of the half or Kevin King kind of ending up on an island on a key third down and having to hold just so he had a chance. And then the refs deciding to call a penalty that hadn't been called all game, but I digress. At any rate, the Packers are going to be in the new defensive coordinator business here very soon. And I think it's important to lay down a marker for exactly where Mike Pettin was. A lot of this stuff wasn't all that bad. But when you're helming a defense that seems like it's less than the sum of its parts, numbers that are pretty good aren't going to cut it. And thus Mike Pettin is currently out of a job. A related question to the defensive coordinator issue has to do with assistant coaches. Packers have lost two so far this offseason. They've got two more that are still interesting. And then there's a question looming as to what happens to all of them. The guys that are gone are Butch Berry and Kevin Coger. You've got a senior offensive analyst in Berry off to do offensive line things again, and Kevin Coger off to just do something else. I forget even where he ended up, but he was only an offensive quality control coach anyway, so basically like a step above a coaching intern. But the Packers have lost those two guys, and we haven't heard about replacements yet or if that's what they want to do, but I imagine that'll be coming after the defensive coordinator. But they have two names that are still interesting on their uh, their defensive roster. You've got uh, secondary coach Jerry Gray, defensive backs coach Jerry Gray, a candidate to be the Packers' next defensive coordinator, and you've got Mike Smith, the outside linebackers coach. Everybody loves Mike Smith because he's a great soundbite, and it's true. 
He's also kind of come up with Mike Pettin. Uh, he transitioned from being a player to a coach with Mike Pettin, with Mike Pettin's assistance. Pettin was never an, an NFL player, but he helped him get a job after his playing career was over and has helped him grow his career since then. And some people seem to be interested in him as a potential defensive coordinator replacement. I think he's probably a year or two away yet, but that is something that you could see him doing given his career trajectory to date. Jerry Gray seems to have been as advertised since he came aboard last offseason. Jair Alexander went from a pretty good cornerback to a very good cornerback. Darnell Savage really got his act together, especially in the second half of the season. He was also being used a little bit differently by Mike Pettin, which is something that should not escape our notice. And Adrian Amos seems to have had a better season his second go-around in Green Bay than he did the first time around. Kevin King may have taken a step backward, but he also dealt with injuries pretty much throughout the season, which is basically the Kevin King experience. I think these are two pretty good coaches. So what's going to happen when the Packers change their defensive coordinator? I don't have an answer here. I don't have extensive analysis on this or or even really anything to say, but it's something that we should keep in the back of our minds as the Packers are transitioning from the 2020 season to the 2021 season. Somebody has to do these jobs, and these jobs are important. It's almost impossible from the outside to know what kind of an impact these guys are having. You could see, if you look back on the Packers in, well, pre-Lafleur era, having coaches there that didn't really seem like they wanted to be there um, may have had an effect on the overall feel of that team. Now it seems everybody's active and engaged, but it's easy to do when you're 20, 26 and 6 over two years, but... What happens to those coaches on the defensive side of the ball when they bring in a new coordinator? We don't have an answer, but that's something that we're going to have to watch, and we will talk about those coaches if and when they arrive in Green Bay. I have a couple listener questions I wanted to take up today. Uh, all three of these come from our Discord server. So again, want to plug that. If you go to patreon.com slash thepowersweep and become a Patreon supporter, you will have an opportunity to join our private Discord server. That's probably the best place going right now to ask questions, though we do still get them from other sources. It's also just a fun time, fun place to hang out and talk Packers uh, as the news comes along and might help you get through the long off-season with us. So Sir Packer asks... Is changing defensive philosophy in play when choosing a defensive coordinator? Can Green Bay allow a defensive philosophy overhaul? So it it depends a little bit what you mean by philosophy. I think we can go at this a couple different ways. First, scheme as it relates to philosophy. I asked Mr. Serb Packer, writing all the way in from Serbia. I always say all the way in. I mean, it's the internet. We might as well be next door. But I asked him what he meant by this, and he was extending, uh, intending this as a question of 3-4 defense versus 4-3. So from that perspective, I don't think philosophy is a real big deal as far as whoever the Packers hire as their next coordinator. Nominally, it's probably slightly easier to bring in a guy from the uh, with a 3-4 background as opposed, uh, opposed to a 4-3 background because your personnel should be a little bit easier to get in place. But really, it doesn't make that much of a difference. There's really that not that much of a functional difference between the 3-4 and a 4-3 anymore. And even if there was, it's more of a sub-league now anyway. Nickel is pretty much your base. On top of that, just look, as we've said before, how the Packers use their personnel. The real difference makers in the 3-4 versus the 4-3 are your outside linebackers. Well, 
Zedarius Smith rushes with his hand up and hand down. Preston Smith rushes hand up, hand down. Rashawn Gary does the same thing. I mean, if you just want to have them with their hand on the ground and call it a 4-3, just do that now. It's not really all that different. But philosophy has more than just scheme. Philosophy is more than just a scheme. And we see a lot of philosophy stuff if you just look even at a cursory level at Mike Pettin. Safeties as nickel linebackers. Rushing four and dropping seven. Rushing three and dropping eight. Conservative blitzing. That's all philosophy stuff. And I think this is the part of the philosophy that's up for a consideration when you're making a hire. You want to see if the guy's philosophy dovetails with how you like to build a team. Does he like to blitz a lot? Well, you're probably going to need more man corners then. How does the Packers roster line up with that? Does he want to play a lot of zone? Does he want uh, edge rushers like Zedaria Smith that can line up all over the place? Well, that affects what you do personnel-wise too. But even so, I still think that this part of philosophy requires less of a personnel adjustment than a, a scheme shift, and even then, it's not that big of a deal. It's more mindset-related anyway. I don't think the Packers are really in much of a defensive philosophy overhaul type situation because I'm not really sure how much of a defensive philosophy you can really see expressed in the Petten era Packers anyway. So if, if we circle back to our Petten discussion here for a second, if you've got a, a problem with the with the Mike Petten Packers, it could be that they just didn't have much of a personality. What would you say the Mike Petten Packers are known for? Even in their good performances, what was it about the Packers that made them so good? I don't I don't feel like I really have an answer for that. You could probably hem and haw and come up with something. But in their good defensive performances, it 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 really felt difficult to say, yeah, this is the Packers defense. This is this is them doing what they do well. Half the time it seemed like it was by accident as much as anything, even down that stretch where they were playing pretty good on defense. What was their philosophy? Really hard, really hard to tell. So if, if there is going to be a philosophy overhaul in Green Bay, it might just be going from not having much of a philosophy at all to, hey, this is really what I believe and what I believe in and how I want to build my defense. I don't know if we ever got that with Mike Pettin. Carl asks, I've understood that the 3-4 versus 4-3 is a somewhat fundamental choice you make in your front defense. Is it the same true regarding the secondary? I think I saw someone mentioning a DC candidate being a cover two guy. I thought the cover scheme was more dynamic in the game, constantly changing depending on the down and distance, or am I wrong? Good question. Basically, you're not wrong. When people talk about that, it's usually about guys being like a cover three guy. So I'm guessing who you were hearing about was Chris, Chris Richard or Chris Richard. I, I'm not sure how he says his name. I'm assuming, I'm assuming it's Richard, but you never know. Um, the former assistant with the Seattle Seahawks, who has kind of bounced around the league a little bit since uh, moving on from there. Uh, the cover three scheme was a big part of what the, the Seahawks did with their Legion of Boom era defense. Uh, basically, it involves single high safety and then dropping your two corners uh, into relatively deep, deep zone along with him. And it's a great philosophy if you've got uh, Richard Sherman and Brandon Browner at your corners and uh, Earl Thomas as your your safety in the middle of the field. 
Um, great philosophy. I, I mean, anytime you can run out two Hall of Famers out of the three main guys in your secondary, I think your philosophy is going to look pretty good. But when people talk about guys like that, joking aside, being a cover three guy is basically like being a 3-4 guy or a 4-3 guy. That might be your basic philosophy, but you're still going to adapt things to scheme and uh, and situation and personnel and things like that. So um, the the main thing that I would emphasize is you're, as you're watching the Packers make their hires here and watching teams throughout the league make their hires or just hearing people talk about defense is that scheme is a baseline and it's shorthand as much as anything. Guys are still going to, to get their sub packages in and out and it's going to come down to being about having good players on uh, on defense as much as any philosophy you do and putting those players in position to do what they do best, which is something that I think Mike Pettin really did pretty well over the back half of the season in Green Bay. Finally, we'll finish off with this. We're back to Mr. Serb Packer writing in all the way from Serbia. Serbia. Make sure I pronounce that correctly. Why do we get a V in there? That's weird. Anyway, he asks, which of the lines, offensive or defensive, will be more of a salary cap casualty or concern this offseason? I think the offensive line is a lot more uh, sap or cal- salary cap vulnerable in general than the defensive line. So even guys looking at guys who are not under contract right now, there's going to be a lot of turnover there. Lane Taylor is a free agent and coming off a big knee injury. Corey Lindsley is also a free agent and has had a back injury in the last two years. Jared Veld here is gone, but never honestly really arrived. You're going to have some changes there. But beyond that, Billy Turner and Rick Wagner both have contracts you could move on from pretty easily if you were so inclined. So if there's going to be cap casualties, it's probably on the offensive line. But there's flip side of that. Why is it going to be on the offensive line? Well, there's nobody really worth cutting on the defensive line right now. A defensive line just in general is more vulnerable than an offensive line because it's basically uh, Kenny Clark, Kingsley Kiki, and then the band of misfits. Uh, you've got Dean Lowry, da- Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, Montrevious Adams, Snacks Harrison, Billy Wynn, Willington Prevalon. If we go down to the practice squad and, and futures guys, I mean, it's pretty thin there. I've been a big, as big a Dean Lowry defender as anybody, and there's, it's a pretty short list of things you can defend. Kenny Clark is great. I think he was hurt for the majority of this season, but came on pretty strong down the stretch. Kingsley Kiki is nice, but even he was knocked out down the stretch with his uh, with his concussion issues. And then it's Lowry, Lancaster, Adams, Snacks, and Billy Wynn. I mean, salary cap or not, that's a pretty vulnerable position group. Might be causing some casualties on defense if they don't get that short up. Uh, so you're probably looking at some defensive line shopping at some point this season, whether it's in free agency or in the NFL draft. Speaking of the NFL draft, it's going to be a little bit before we dive into that super in depth, but but I did want to encourage you, if you ever have questions or if there's ever specific prospects you want to talk about, go ahead and reach out. We can start doing stuff like that. I'm not going to get super in depth with it and probably until late March or so, but when it's time, we will go great guns on it and, and try to give you a good idea who might fit pretty well with the Packers. We also need some time to see how things are going to sort out with workouts and the combine and whatever the combine ends up looking like and stuff like that. 
Uh, so we got to let that stuff build up a little bit before we can dig into the draft really at all. But there are going to be opportunities to discuss that kind of thing out there. So if there's people you want to talk about, uh, just pass it along right now, and I will I will fill that stuff in kind of as we go, and then we'll do more comprehensive reviews once the time comes. In the meantime, that's all I've got for in this episode. Do appreciate you checking us out. Check us out patreon.com slash the power sweep for bonus content and a chance to access our discord server there. If you like the show and think there might be somebody out there who would benefit from it as well, go ahead and, uh, and share this show. I would appreciate it a lot. And that is the number one way we grow and get more people involved in this conversation we're having around the Packers, which ultimately helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.